This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined in Birmingham by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, we've just come out of Liz Truss's speech to the Conservative Party conference. James, what did you think? Uh, I thought this speech, and this is not that high a bar given what's happened this week, but I thought this speech was the best moment of the week for Liz Truss, which is she had, it wasn't a spectacular speech, but it had a clear theme that she wants to go for growth. It was very much her political credo, which is all about freedom. And I, I, I thought she, uh, the hall clearly kind of were willing her to succeed. There was that protest, you know, I mean, that got the hall going a bit as well. And I think that, I think, that, I, I think, I think Truss, she made her argument, which was, as, as Katie was saying, it would, it would be last night, which was that, you know, she wants to take on this kind of anti-growth coalition. I mean, there are two immediate challenges for her. One is, you know, how are you actually going to get this growth going? You, you are saying that your three priorities are growth, 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 at a time when the economy looks like it is slowing down. And I mean, there are some question marks about how easy she will find it to get the kind of supply-side reforms through that she wants to. The second thing I think is, how do you make people feel that that growth is going to benefit them? Because what does growth mean to yeah, people, I, right? I mean, that, you know, I mean, one of the lessons of the 2016 referendum was that, you know, people feel that growth in the abstract is not necessarily something that is going to benefit them. So I think those are the two, ch- the two challenges for her now. Katie? I think ultimately Liz Truss's speech did not make things worse. And we know how the narrative around a conference can be improved or worsened by a leader's speech. If you think back to Theresa May and that cough-ridden speech of all the letters coming off, and I think it really just cemented this idea of a party at sea. And then... I think it was a failed coup after that, maybe by Grant Shapps after that speech. Yeah. <laughs> Something's never changed. Yeah, exactly. But it just, it fed into the, you know, the panic and, you know, MPs on the trains were texting around. And I think the good news for Liz Truss is actually her speech, if anything, has calmed nerves a bit. It does not improve her situation in the sense that she just, she still has a very divided, divisive party. Lots of MPs who are already pondering, uh, you know, if she's going to be leading them into the next election but also many who think that she will, but perhaps to a defeat is more the sense. Uh, so it's probably where more MPs are still. And tricky votes coming up. But I think in terms of actually just fleshing out her vision and explaining what her government is doing, I think it, it is viewed by a few of the MPs I've spoken to as her best attempt to do that yet. And it actually points to the frustration that in her first month, uh, you know, there's been lots of policies and measures coming out. And I I think there is a sense that lots of things have gone wrong for Liz Truss. But one of it is just, where is the rationale for lots of this? And if you are going to be doing divisive, unpopular things, you need to be at least trying to make the argument. I think we at least saw a bit of that today. She didn't announce anything, did she, James? She had a sort of almost like an appraisal section where she set out some objectives for her key cabinet ministers, but there wasn't anything new. Is that, no, is that a problem? No, there, there wasn't a news line in the speech. There wasn't announcements in the speech. There weren't any announcements in Quasi Quatting's speech either. It was very announcement light all, um, all week, actually, all wasn't week. it? Yeah. Now, I think in some ways that's a product of, you know, she's arrived in office 
only a month ago. But I think the kind of the details of these supply side reforms, we know that there will be eight that she wants to do. They are going to become immediately contentious. Uh, and because I think partly because of the dynamic of this week. And I think, that, you know, so I think the where those go is, is a big question. I also think that the other thing is, and the other question is this, is when she says freedom, is freedom what people really... Is freedom for other people really their uh, value? And I thought it was a kind of interesting bit of a speech, which was she talked about freedom at the beginning of the speech and how she was going to stop people kind of doing kind of what she perceives as nanny state measures like banning, buy one, get one, one free. But then she immediately moved into talking about the energy price cap that she's introduced. And the energy price cap is really about security rather than freedom. It's really about saying to people, look, we're going we're gonna to prevent bad things from happening to you. Uh, and so I think there is a kind of, there is a question here, which is, and I think this is what a lot of the argument actually within the Tory party, you know, yes, obviously in politics, there's always personality involved. But there is also a kind of a philosophical question here. Because I think if you went and asked, say, Michael Gove this week, what his, you know, what he thought the most important conservative value was, I don't think he would say freedom. And so I think, you've, I think you're going to see this tension about what the Tory party is about. And also, her, I thought the other thing was interesting in the speech was this embrace of disruption. You know, you know, yes, there's going to be some disruption because that's what happens when you try and change things. Again, that goes very against the kind of coalition the Tory party tried to build in 2019, which was very security, stability, were the kind of watchwords of that. I mean, there's also, I think, a sort of association in the general public and probably amongst political journalists who are about to board minibuses back to London, that disruption generally means being stuck at a station because there's a strike or a problem on the line. There was a certain irony, but the slogan was keep Britain moving as we all um, tried to work out how to get out of Birmingham with no trains. And um, just before anyone says that we're just obsessing about ourselves, I think there are no trains pretty much anywhere in the country today. Uh, We are obsessing about ourselves as well, let's let's face it. Katie, what do you think is going to happen next? She's obviously given herself a bit of time to catch breath, catch up on a bit of sleep after conference, but Parliament's back next week and it doesn't look like Michael Gove is planning to take a holiday. No, and you see, obviously, we've had one U-turn and the 45, as you've covered on Coffee House, there's now a big debate about benefits, uh, whether, you know, rise of inflation or wages, a decision doesn't actually need to be made on that for a month. And I think the sense in government is they have the time to decide what to do. But of course, the optics and the political pressure when you have people such as Penny Mordaunt freelancing, saying their opinion outside of it means I think this is going to be quite a live issue. And one where Michael Gove, you know, wants to play an active role in the debate. But I thought it was interesting, actually, just and there's lots of tricky votes that will be coming up for the supply side reform. There's also things like the investment zones that they want to push for, you know, breakneck speed to try and get some of the... If you're going to talk about how growth is, you know, your central thing, growth, 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 you do need to be able to point to some of it to have any chance of this working. Um, so there's going to be a, a big push in that sense. I thought it was interesting in that speech um, when Liz Ross talking about the anti-growth coalition, which uh, she returned to several times. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Um, anti-growth coalition but at the same time you can see that she she's almost digging in on it in the sense that there's obviously lots of concern about the mini budget and so forth um but is now is wants to pitch lots of people against it as as disruptors um 
I think did Liz Truss declare war on podcast today? Yes. Um, yeah, she's she's against people who um, who live in North London and go to the BBC and uh, and also record podcasts. You live in North London and you go on podcast, James. Um, uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't go on the BBC as much as you do. So I think or, or you. As well. And her favorite podcast is still Women with Balls. So I think I think you're safe, Katie. Yeah. Um, but no, but I, I thought. That framing is, I think it's interesting how much MPs get behind that because clearly what she's trying to say is we're going to have lots of fights, but I'm on the side of working people with these fights. And let's see when these tricky votes come up. And also you get these warnings from what is she is saying, you know, it's not just these um, opposition politicians, which she was naming, but also institutions that don't like her growth plan. And uh, I wonder how that is going to land in the Tory party as, as people start to, you know, criticise things when we get more details of plans. I thought it was interesting. One of the Liz Truss's allies was saying to you that, you know, they, thought, they saw this anti-growth coalition as, as their version of a kind of coalition of chaos that David Cameron ran against in 2015. And I think it does reflect something that at the next election, it is going to be quite clear that the Tories have to win a majority because they have no potential coalition partners. And so I think, I think that's why she is so keen to try and lump together all the other parties into kind of one, into one, kind of, uh, into one blob that she is against. And I think that, that is what, what, why I think she's going with this anti-growth coalition line. I agree, Katie, it's not the snappiest of phrases. It's not the snappiest coalition of chaos. But I, mean, I think that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to say, I'm the person who wants to live a growth... These other parties put other things ahead of that. I think the difficulty there, obviously, as we've been discussing, is you've got to have the growth to make the case. Do you think there's going to be a, uh, a reshuffle or in any sort of changes of personnel? Because a lot of Tory MPs I've been speaking to, Katie, have been saying that they think the chief whip, Wendy Morton, who has been in the job for a very short amount of time, that she's just not the right person to deal with at a party that at best of times is hard to manage and at the moment is, you know, like a herd of, well, not just cats, quite quite angry cats. Yes, I don't remember quite yet at the bring back Gavin Williamson stage, but um, as you say, there's there's a lot of uh, annoyance at Wendy Morton. I think also just the way some of the junior ministers were dismissed early on mm. in that reshuffle, which I think increasingly you're seeing the impact of the fact it was a loyalist reshuffle, but the fact, the way some people were told they were not going to be keeping their roles. Even loyalists were treated quite badly. So if you look at Connor Burns, for instance, I think it's fair to say that he had not marked out Minister of State at International Trade to be his next move. And he supported Truss, was moved from Northern Ireland where he was, you know, obviously wanting to be Secretary of State. But as far as his friends have, have said to me, they think that was quite a hurtful move and this week he started talking about how Kemi wasn't Kemi Badenoch his boss uh, wasn't just focusing on talking about free trade on Instagram which I think we can take as an insult so yeah, he tried to row back slightly but completely you can't look you can't look at the comments and not read it so yeah. uh, maybe in the moment and then obviously got perhaps got cold feet about but yeah so I think there's lots of anger at Wendy Morton and also yeah. it's not just a tone but it's whether she's up to the job given all the challenges mm-hmm. um I also I think the tricky thing is and this is where you get to that to the fact there's trust has pretty much quite bad options on this yeah. if you do another reshuffle that creates more problems. Yeah. I think probably what's more likely is if anyone leaves the post, for example, Alex Sharma, um, at some point, because COP26 will end and COP27 will begin, that technically opens up a space on for another attending cabinet. Can you use these things to reach out a bit? I think were a minister to have to resign tomorrow over some scandal, I suspect they would now actually do a reaching out gesture to try and get some of the party a bit more inside. I think that there has been a slow dawning reality that you, you, might, you do need to do some of that. And then I think the other thing to look out for is Downing Street and the structure there, because I know people say, oh, it's 
often when something goes wrong, you hear it's the comms, but um, and it can be a bit disingenuous. But I think there is a sense that Downing Street is not functioning in the way it should be doing. And Liz Truss had a plan to make it nimbler and leaner, but the problem is it just right now looks short-staffed and so it isn't work, <laughs> working. And therefore, are, are you going to see new personnel brought in or, or new systems? Um, I think that's one to look out for. A very close Liz Truss ally said to me earlier this week that, you know, that they thought it was understaffed, that she had, she, had, she had tried to slim down the operation too much. She tried to kind of basically kind of run the whole government sitting at the cabinet table with a few aides around her. And so I think there is, I think there are, there are close friends of hers urging her to kind of hire in more people as a, but, you know, as a kind of try and kind of bolster the operation. I think when we get into this kind of talking about different ways of running Downing Street and moving cabinet around, I think, the, I think the, other, the other crucial question is what happens with this polling that we've seen at the moment, right? Which is, was this week's numbers kind of, and the end of last week's numbers, were they as bad as it's going to get? Are you, are you going to see slowly these Labour leads coming down, you know, maybe falling from the 20s into the teens? Or are they going to stay where they are? I mean, that's another thing that will be very important in determining the mood of Tory MPs. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening. 